As Jojo said, we are looking at the final talk in the Haggai series. Um, quick bit of context, because I, like you, even if I've heard all of the talks, I forget easily. So Haggai, it's a short book, it's near the end of the Old Testament. And essentially it's looking at this remnant of Israel. They've come back from Babylon, from exile. They've come back to Jerusalem, where there is no longer the temple that Solomon built. And this book is Haggai telling the Israelites, uh, what God's saying to them. And at first he's saying to them, you've forgotten what you're doing. You've started, you've come back, you're rebuilding your own homes. But actually, what are you meant to be doing? You're meant to be building the second temple. And I am with you in that. And then as we go through Haggai, we see God telling them to be faithful to the covenant, to the relationship with God, to be holy, to be a pure people. He talks to them about how he's going to turn curses into blessing as they come back to this covenant with God that he's going to pour his blessing on them. And today we're looking at the last three verses. And Haggai, he's turned his direction to just Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Judah. And God says, I want to speak directly to him. And this is what he says in verses 20 to 23 says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I'm just going to say a prayer. Father, thank you that you're here, and I pray that as we look at your word, you would speak to us. Give us fresh revelations and draw us closer to you, Father. Amen. So last night, I watched the film Nomadland, um, which has just come out and received lots of awards. And essentially, it's a film all about these themes of belonging, these themes of home and what is home and home being a different thing for different people. And it follows this woman who, who's living in a van and it's almost as though she's trying to work all of those things out. I wonder for you, what does the word home mean? What is home for you? For all of us, we use it all the time, don't we? Well, I'm off after today, I'm going to head home. It's where we live. But actually, it means much more than that. For some of us, home might still be where we grew up, where our parents live. For some of us, it might be sort of an affinity to a place where we don't live, but we feel we belong. For some of us, it's not a place, but it's particular people. When we're with those people, we feel like we are at home. But probably for all of us, regardless of how we answer that question, home is the place where you feel most loved, where you feel safe, secure, where you feel comfortable, where you feel known, where you feel most yourself in a good way. It's the place where you feel that you belong where you feel alive, where hopefully you feel a sense of peace. The Bible is all about this story of home, a hope of a home with God. 
It tells the story of God's greatest desire to be present with his people, to be with us. And this thread throughout the Bible weaves the deepest longing of humanity to be with our maker. And we know the story, don't we? It starts with the Garden of Eden, this perfect home. I don't know if you've ever done a list for what you would like to have in a home, to have in a house. Well, this is the perfect house. This ticks all the boxes on your list and more. It's this beautiful garden and God is with his people. It says he walks with them every day. They had everything they needed, everything they wanted. And as we know, that was then shattered, completely broken. And the Old Testament, it then tells this story of these different attempts of trying to make this home with God and his people being together. And we see the Israelites, they come out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness. And Moses says to God, I don't want to go on any further if you are not present with us. Please be with us. Otherwise, there's no point to any of this. And so God's answer to this while they're in the wilderness is to tell them to build the tabernacle, this sort of tent, a movable sanctuary that travels with with the Israelites through the wilderness. And this is where God is present. This is where his presence is. This is how the Israelites are able to draw near to God. But it has this section in it where God is present called the Holy of Holies. And no one is allowed to go in there. Only the high priest is allowed to go in there and he's only allowed to go in once a year. And even when he goes in, he has to burn enough incense that there's so much smoke that he can't see God. Because the Israelites, they're such a broken people, they're so full of sin that it's actually dangerous for them to see God. So here's a solution and yet there's still this gulf between God and his people. They are not fully present with one another. Then the Israelites, they come into the promised land and they have this temple. Solomon is told, build a temple for me where I can be present. And it's a much, much grander version of the tabernacle. But it's exactly the same in how it functions. People can come here, they can atone for their sins, they can bring sacrifices, but there's still the Holy of Holies. There is still this separation between God and his people. Haggai, it's all about this theme of a hope, of a home. The remnant, they're brought back to Jerusalem. What's the first thing they do? They build homes. They want to feel like they belong. They want to feel secure. So they start building their own homes. And then God tells Haggai, no, they've got it wrong. Go and tell them. And he says, no, 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 you're not meant to be building these homes. You're meant to be building me a home, the temple, the second temple so that I can be present with you. And yet, in the Old Testament, these are imperfect solutions. There still remains this gulf between God and his people. At the heart of all of this is the desire for this home to be together, to be restored to one another. And there's this crescendo that builds within the Old Testament of this other prophecy, of this prophecy of a permanent home, that God is going to build a permanent home where God and his people can be together forever. A temple to end all other temples. 
And of course, we know his name is Jesus. So let's look at these verses. I actually just want to look at the last verse in Haggai. It says, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. You might wonder what on earth he's talking about. There's four key words, and I've underlined them, that tell us what God is saying to Haggai. Servant, son, signet ring, and chosen. I'm not going to talk about them in that order. Signet ring. The signet ring was what the king had to show authority, to show his authority over something, to sort of put his stamp of approval. He'd put it in wax and he'd put his seal on, on that document, on that thing, to show this is from the king. This, this has the stamp of approval. So what we see here is God is saying to Zerubbabel, you have my stamp of approval. I will make you like my signet ring. Now Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jehoiakim, God had said to him, he was king of Judah, you are like a signet ring and I'm going to take you off my finger. Jeremiah 22, 24, this is what he says to Zerubbabel's grandfather, as surely as I live, even if you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. What he's saying to Zerubbabel is, I'm going to reinstate you. I'm going to put my signet ring on you. I'm going to put my stamp of approval on you. And then this word chosen, I've chosen you. I've plucked you out. Then he uses this word son. He's referring to Zerubbabel's heritage. Zerubbabel is from the line of David. He is royal blood. So we've got this theme building here. And then the final one, he says, my servant, which was often used to refer to the Messiah. So you you could think, oh, what God is saying here is, I'm choosing you. I'm putting my stamp of approval on you. I'm reinstating this promise of a Messiah that I gave to David. And Zerubbabel is it. Actually, he's not saying Zerubbabel is it. He's saying, I am going to use you because you're from the line of David. And from your line, I am reinstating this promise, this prophecy of a Messiah. So Zerubbabel becomes this picture of the future Messiah. These three verses, they are part of this thread of the prophecy that weaves through the Old Testament of this promise of this permanent home, this temple to end all temples, this Messiah, Jesus. So here we have God's final solution to this longing, to this promise of a home. The title of this talk series is There is Hope. His name is Jesus. This is God's answer you like, well, well, tell me something I don't know. So let's talk about what does this future hope look like? This future home, this hope of a home with God. For me, there's one verse in the Bible in Revelation that sums up what this hope looks like for us. This is John speaking, and he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne of heaven saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
This is the culmination of the hope that we profess in Jesus. That one day when the new heaven and the new earth comes, God will come down and will be present with us. He will answer our deepest longing and our deepest need to be present with us. It says he'll come down to earth. It says he will redeem this earth. He will restore this earth. We're not just going to be souls floating around in heaven. Jesus, when he was raised, he had a physical body. He could be touched. He could eat fish. We're going to live in a physical world that's made perfect, where we walk and talk with God, where we have work that fulfills us, where we can hug one another, where we love one another well. It's this incredible hope that we have. And that's, as Christians, what holds it all together. That's what we're looking forward to. But I don't know about you, but this year I've had a lot of dashed hopes. Lots of things I've been looking forward to, but they haven't happened. And things that just keep being slightly out of reach. And this hope, incredible as it is, probably feels pretty distant for most of us. It's sort of, you know, it's in the next life. I've I've still got this life to live. But the resurrection tells us that actually this hope is already in play because Jesus already has his risen body. He already has his restored, his redeemed body. The hope that we have is not a distant hope. It's not a deferred hope. It's not a stagnant hope. It's not a hope in a dead God who one day we're hoping will be raised. He has already been raised. The hope that we have is a living hope. And God, by his spirit, has brought this hope to this earth already. Because by his spirit, he makes us his temple. He comes and makes us his home. He comes and says, I'm not going to wait. I'm with you now. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. When we believe, we're marked with a seal, a bit like that signet ring. It's stamped upon us, and by the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes now to live in us. Our hope is of a home with Jesus. That begins now. Um, So often in talks, we talk about this future hope. And it's really hard to talk about it in a way that is tangible. And so I wanted to finish by sharing what this hope has meant for me. The last few months have been a bit of a shocker for me. Um, In November, my mum was diagnosed with motor neurons disease. Um, I'm incredibly close to my mum. We're an incredibly close family. Um, So much of who I am um, makes sense because of who my mum is. And so this was pretty um, shattering for us as a family. And I didn't know much about the disease, but it doesn't take much um, Googling to realise quite how cruel it is. And so it's been a... It's been a tough few months. Um, It's been pain like I haven't experienced before. Um, Obviously, the suffering of my mum and my dad is something that um, I find really, really hard to see. Um, 
it feels a little bit like my sort of earthly home has been shattered. Um, so much of who I am and that sort of the emotional home that I feel like I have here is, is to do with mum and dad. Um, and at the same time, um, my husband and I, we've decided to move um, so that we can be nearer to my parents, so that we can be present with them. Um, and so we sort of had our physical home being uprooted as well. And in the last few months, I've felt very disorientated and like I've sort of slightly lost my bearings. And yet, I tell you this story because the one thing that hasn't gone has been hope has been the foundation of hope that me and my parents have been able to stand on. And of course, there's the future hope. There's the hope that actually we know that motor neurons disease does not have the final word, that actually one day mum will have the perfect body and she will rejoice and she will be able to do all the things that she loves doing forevermore. There's a most incredible hope to have at a time like this. But actually the pain right now, sometimes that hope feels too far off, feels like that's not soon enough. But the living hope of Jesus being with us in it is the most amazing hope to have. It's a hope like no other hope. It's meant that we have laughed so much in the last few months. We've been able to find things funny that probably most people will think we were crazy to find funny. It's meant that when we've cried, we haven't despaired. When there have been really dark days, haven't gone to those depths that you might imagine. And um, my mum, she was telling me about this picture that she had, which for me sums up what I'm trying to express today. Someone had a picture for her about a year ago, well before her diagnosis or even knowing that she was ill. And she was in the most beautiful garden. And she said it was, she's a gardener and she's very creative. And so it was just beautiful. It was perfectly manicured. It was really organized. You just, you wanted to stay there forever. And in the picture, God was calling her out of the garden, was calling to her to, her, her to another part of the garden that was sort of a wilderness, not at all manicured, just sort of lots of grasses. And she said in the picture, she didn't really want to go. She said, you know, she was in the beautiful part of the garden. She didn't want to leave it. Um, anyway, since her diagnosis, she has thought on that picture a lot. And I'm going to read her words because they're much better than mine. But as she's processed this illness and what it's going to mean for her and the debilitating aspect of it and what she won't be able to do and ultimately leaving us and leaving her, her children and her husband, she said... I don't want to leave the garden. And in a worldly sense, why would you ever leave this beautiful part of the garden? But she said, actually, if God isn't there, then it isn't the same anyway. She said, if God's in the other part of the garden, then that's where you want to be. Because that's where your hope is. She said, ultimately, your hope and your home is Jesus. So you want to be where he's calling you to. And then she quoted Psalm 73 in verse 5, where it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. The hope we have is a profound certainty of Jesus being with us now and calling us to a home that we can't even imagine how amazing it's going to be 
Tim Keller says our, hope, our word hope, the English word hope, it's flimsy. Really what we should be talking about is profound certainty of what we have in Jesus. The challenge, of course, is not all of you have had a bad few months where actually you're like, thank goodness for this hope. The challenge is making this hope the essence of your life even when life is going really well. The challenge is not just seeing this hope as something for when the rest of life isn't that great. The challenge is like a limpet shell clings onto a rock. To cling on to the rock, to make this hope, this profound certainty, your oxygen. Every day, not just on the bad days. That question that I started with is, where is home? What is home? Home is with Jesus. Home is being with Jesus. That's where you're most known. That's where you're loved fully. That's where you get to be the person he created you to be. That's where you're safe. That's where you're secure. That's where you are full of joy, where you will know the deepest peace that's where you'll be content, where you'll be fulfilled. That's where each one of us belongs. And the incredible thing that Jesus has done for us is that we don't have to wait until heaven to experience that, to know that hope, to have, to live, to breathe that profound certainty. Certainty. 